Good morning again. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Mission accomplished. For those of you who may be newer or maybe brand new and say, so what was the mission? <laughs> uh, a team of 10 of us just got back from India, uh, a place that we go as the Lord leads us. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what time it is. is. I'm not actually sure if I'm dreaming this right now. Or is this real? Is this real or is this just another, another dream? But what an amazing, amazing trip that it was. It's just hard to put into words all that we saw and did. And I, you know, I just want to begin by thanking you for your prayer support. Because what happened, again, (laughs) happens every time I go, what happened again cannot be explained in human terms. It was a a work of the Spirit again. And... uh, I know God always has intention for us when we go places, but I also know that that intention is, is made alive when God's people pray. And so uh, thank you so much for your prayers. We truly needed it. it was, uh, we truly needed it. It was such a blessing to know at certain times when we were caught up in various aspects of spiritual warfare, it was, it was a blessing to know that we were covered in your prayers. The girls at the children's home are great. I mean, uh, you can't fake that right there. You can't, you can't fake that. I took that on my phone, that, you know, so it's not even a good picture, but you can't fake that. Uh, for those of you who, again, may not know, may be newer to us, it was our privilege back in 2005 for uh, me to make one of the trips to to Bangalore, India, where it was my privilege to lay the cornerstone of a children's home that, that y'all built through the sacrificial giving of your own funds and built this children's home, the place where uh, uh, girls who are abandoned and in, with the most, in the most terrible ways uh, are brought in and given, given life, given love, given Jesus, and uh, they're, they're just truly great. Uh, I, I don't know if you could overstate how the, the greatness of their condition. They're that great. And they're healthy and they're happy and they're strong and they're growing in the Lord. Even uh, Karen and I saw an incredible difference even we were there at the same time last year. An incredible difference in only one year. Uh, the girls are just great. And the team did great. The team did great. I've been on a bunch of mission trips in my life, and I, I don't want to say this was the best team that I've ever had, but this was the best team that I ever had. So if that hurts your feelings, sorry uh, if you were on one of the other ones. But it was truly a great team. There wasn't a tourist among them. They were all soldiers. There, there wasn't a complainer among them. They, they just leaned into it, and uh, it, was, it was truly truly a, a great, a magnificent team. In fact, if, if you were on the team and you're in this service, would you stand so people can see what you look like? And It was a blessing, powerful blessing uh, to be there. They had, they had two primary objectives in going. First was to love the girls in the children's home, and the second was to love the patients in the, uh, what's called the beggar's colony that were people, it's a leper colony is what it is, uh, 
Would you like to just see a quick tour of our nine days? All right, very good. Well, let's roll. Excitement in Frankfurt. Uh, yeah, we changed planes in Frankfurt, and there's our, there's our esteemed elder at work there. Elder Todd, sound asleep. I actually have pictures of everybody else on the team in pretty much the same pose, but I'm smart enough not to show that. Uh, but uh, we, we changed planes. It's, it's, about a, it's about a 30 to 35-hour journey by the time you leave your house to the time you get to where you're going. So it's kind of a long haul, but you do get to sleep on the plane, uh, right? So, you know, those planes are great, right? You know, you sleep like this with your seat up, right? But fortunately, you get to put your seat back and do it this way. So it's incredible. Next slide, please. And uh, here's where we went, Bangalore. This is, the, this is the children's home that you built right here. It's amazing. It's, this is the one that you all built. Nobody else helped. You all built it. But we didn't go there to see a building. We went there for the girls. Next slide. And uh, here's what they look like. And they were in their Sunday best, of course, you know, uh, up there in that top picture. Next slide. And uh, we had a blast. We played uh, everything we could think of. Uh, Peggy had sent beach balls, so there were beach ball mayhem, there were bubble mayhem, bubbles mayhem, and just look at their faces. I mean, you can't fake that, right? You see that? Next slide. And uh, we played games and sang songs, and uh, next slide, we played more games and sang more songs, and uh, we played more games and sang more songs. And uh, this is a group hug down here. That became very popular uh, down here on the lower right. Group hugs were, were a blast. And uh, next slide. Uh, but then eventually they, we did have to go to school one day, you know. Uh, I don't know who that big kid is there in the middle, but uh, <laughs> they, they wouldn't let me go to school, but they would let me in the picture. Next slide. And, uh, but we took them out the next day, uh, actually, uh, Queenie, their legal guardian, took him out of school so we could take him to the circus. Who gets to go on a mission trip and go, on a, go to a circus, right, in India? Ay, ay, ay. We, I don't have any other pictures because uh, after I took a couple, I was informed that we weren't supposed to take any pictures. So uh, that was the one we have. Next slide. Uh, in addition to the girls, we went to this thing, this place called, it's called the Beggar's Colony, which is so derogatory in our minds, but it's, it's a place where culturally, if these people, most of whom are afflicted with leprosy and are missing parts of their body and features and their faces and stuff, they, they would be beggars on the street if they didn't have this place to go, right? And there are, uh, it's made up of these long, these, these buildings you see the fronts of are about 100 feet long about uh, 25, 30 feet wide and concrete floors and uh, about eight people live in each one of those, share one of those and they, they don't have beds, they just have a straw thing they roll out and lay on they, they, don't, ha- they don't have anything, they just lay on the concrete and um, it's, a, it's a very very difficult existence but it was our pleasure to go in, your, in the name of Jesus and by your support next slide, and uh, to bring them there, this was New Year's Eve that we went there this last Saturday, and take them at this great feast, which was a, which was an incredible blessing. But also, next slide. Um, oops, that's supposed to say blankets. Uh, hand out a blanket to every resident. A blanket, uh, a particular kind of blanket that doesn't aggravate some of their conditions. And it was incredible to be able to do that. And every team member was able to hand out a stack of blankets to each one of these people. Next slide, and more blankets. And uh, 
Can you go back to that other slide? Can we go backwards on this? Or look in the middle. Look at the way that man is holding that blanket up to his face. Don't miss that. Some of the, some of the people actually kissed the blanket when it was received. I mean, this isn't a blanket to add to their stack of blankets. This is a blanket. <laughs> it's just hard to describe. Okay, next slide, and then go to the next one. And this is the little church, the Cornerstone Church. That we're a part of the Cornerstone Ministries there. Uh, the church that's planted inside of this leprosy uh, village, if you will. And there we are. Looking so happy to be there. Next slide. And then, uh, I love this picture. I mean, vineyard people never look this good. And I had to take them 8,000 miles to get them to dress up a little bit. But <laughs> Todd even has his shirt tucked in for crying out loud. I, take a look at that. And uh, so there we are in Bangalore, India, Sunday morning, getting ready to go to church. And uh, it was truly, truly an incredible time. And, and we just can't put words on it. There's so many more, more things that could be said, but I just want to give you a quick tour. Some of you are wondering about Pastor Stephen's health. Uh, it's, it's declining. It's not getting better. It's declining. I talked to him last night, actually, and he is now having back pain, which is part of uh, his kidney failure, uh, and told me that he expects to be on dialysis in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then it looks like he will be having a, a kidney transplant here sometime next month. Uh, because it's a, a system that's a little bit different than ours in America, you have to have $12,000 to get on the list, which is the deposit. And so uh, yesterday the elders moved to send $12,000 so he can get on the list. And I'm glad you're clapping because we would like you to give it back. Uh, so over the course of the next few weeks, would you pray about that? Would you just pray about that in any amount? And if you want to put it in an envelope and say, Pastor Stephen or kidney or anything, you know, that would help us to know that that's where you mean it to go or write it on the memo of your check or anything like that. But it will go 100% to his health care. Keep praying. That's the real key, right? Keep praying. Keep praying. And uh, so why don't we pray? Lord, uh, bowing down before you now, we blend our faith again for for Pastor Stephen's health. And we cried out to you for miraculous restoration of kidneys and we trust you and respect your sovereignty in all these things, Lord. And so uh, now, Lord, as we're moving along this, this plan B in our minds, it's always plan A for you. Whatever the plan is, always your plan. Uh, would you continue to open up the hearts of people all around the world to provide financially for this, this life-saving operation that has to occur. Would you also bless Pastor Stephen and, and his wife, Queenie, who will be the donor? Uh, would you bless them somehow? It's just, it's just out of our reach to be able to even know how to pray about this, Lord. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to engage us at levels of intercession for this that uh, are beyond our, our abilities. We trust you with Pastor Stephen's life, Lord, and thank you. Thank you so much for him and our partnership and ministry there for all these years. And uh, just now, release our faith for his full and Queenie's full recovery now. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Well, I, I, I kind of used to wonder about the, the value of mission trips at all because, you know, it costs a lot. And, you know, there's, there's sort of a logistical argument. So what, all, everybody paid a lot of money to go on this mission trip. What if we just didn't go and sent them the money, which is a valid argument. But uh, if you've ever been on a mission trip like this before, you understand that there's stuff that happens that's so intangible, that's so of the spirit, that's so powerful, that you'd, you'd empty your bank account to do it because you're changed forever. And, um, and, and the, other, the other thing about that is God owns the cattle on a thousand hills anyway, so it's just a matter of him moving his resources around, right? He's just going to have to sell off a few calves. Uh, but I used to wonder about that. You know, when... When I go to India, when we go to India, and some of you have been other places, and we want to go to Brazil and those kind of places, but particularly in India, I always encounter a substantially higher level of spiritual warfare there. And so your prayers are so vital. And so there's a lot I could tell you about that this morning, about spiritual warfare and some of the things that I was allowed in the Spirit to see and hear and experience. But I really don't want to focus on what the enemy's doing in India. I want to focus on what Jesus is doing in India. And, uh, and what he's doing there in a way that, what does it have to do with us? Because he's wanted, he wants to do exactly the same thing here. And uh, I decided on the, on the plane ride home that, uh, you know, in the end, the more obvious demonic presence in any environment, if you do this right, simply provides a darker background against which the light of Christ can shine. And so when you're in a place like India where it's so obviously dark and demonic, when you see the light of Christ, it's, it's so much brighter by contrast, right? And so uh, that's, that's the heart that I want you to embrace. Because what you're doing in India, listen, listen, what you're doing in India by your continuing prayers and your sacrificial giving and our going and those kind of things, what you're doing in India is good. It's very, very good. I mean, it's good at a level that is almost beyond our ability to comprehend what the word even means. To see the lives of these girls changed, rescued. To know their stories. Their stories that if I told you some of their stories, I would have to, I would have to give a disclaimer because they're so graphically violent. And to know that the Lord has rescued them from that and has made a place for them is a very, very, very good thing. <laughs> and their faces tell that story, don't they? It's good. So here's the revelation, the great revelation that I returned from the other side of the earth with. Are you ready? It's, it's pretty deep. God is good. Did you hear that? This is what I'm coming back with. God is good. Maybe you've heard that before, and maybe you've sometimes heard it so much that it's even been trivialized with little slogans back and forth. And sometimes I'm not even sure we know what we mean when we say that. We believe it, but I'm not sure that we even know what we mean or have a way of knowing what we mean when we say that God is is good. But when I say it this morning, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this truth. That good 
is part of the nature of God. Good isn't something that God does. Good is something that God is. God is good. It's part of his nature. It's part of his self-designed nature. That'll blow your mind. As such, the only thing that God ever can do is good. So whatever God's doing in your life, it's good. And it's always good. It's not always comfortable, is it? Hello? But it's always, it has to always be good because God is incapable of not acting in a good way because at the core of his nature is goodness. I don't know if any of you can relate, but my mom used to say this to me. Be good. On the way out the door, be good. Anybody remember hearing that? Anybody? Why did she say that? Because it was not in my nature to be good. I had to make a decision to be good. My record wasn't great. And so it was a constant reminder, Tom, Tommy, make a decision to be good today. Somehow she thought it was in my power. Somehow she thought that I was capable of making that decision. But I, I knew even then that I, I might pull it off to a degree, but something was going to go wrong in this plan of my being good all day. And I'm 56 now, and I haven't had a fully good day yet because I'm not good. But God is good. God's good. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. Luke 18. Luke 18. Yeah, that was Luke 18. Maybe a passage that will seem familiar to, to many of you, but let me read it for you. I want to read about seven or eight verses. Luke 18. I'm going to start in verse 18. Luke 18, 18. A certain ruler asked him, this is sometimes called the the story of the rich young ruler. How many of you have ever heard it put that way? The rich young ruler. A certain ruler asked him, who's him? Jesus. It's important to know who him is. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Oh, good. He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Jesus was always saying absurd things. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So where am I going with this? Focus on the first two verses. A certain ruler came to Jesus, said, good teacher, 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? (laughs) That's always the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get in on this? What must I do? Now, I want you to think about this guy. He's a rich, young ruler. Could it get any better than that? He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. I mean, he's not a poor young ruler. He's not a rich old ruler. He's not a rich young regular person. He's a rich young ruler. That's a, that sounds like a pretty good gig, doesn't it? Hello? But something was wrong. Something was missing that would compel him to go to this pauper rabbi, Jesus, with this ragtag disciple school and say, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Oh, Jesus said, no worries. You're all set except for one thing. Just sell everything you have and give it to the poor. In doing that, he would have been, he was being called to surrender his identity because he wouldn't have been rich anymore. He likely wouldn't have been a ruler anymore because of the scandal it would have created in the day. He would have just been young. (laughs) And so he said, here's what you need to do. You need to surrender everything that you are because I need to make you into something else. In John chapter 3, there's this guy called Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, uh, hey, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Everybody wants to know what to do. What do I need to do? Jesus said, oh, that's easy. You must be born again. You must be born again? Nicodemus asked, what do you mean? I'm already born. How how is a person ever born again? He He even goes so far as to bait Jesus and say, can a man enter into his mother's womb and be born again? Don't bait Jesus. It's the word of the wise. Don't bait Jesus. He said, look, buddy, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he'll never see the kingdom of God. Unless, unless you let me do something for you. Nicodemus was right. He said, it's impossible for a man to be born again. Jesus said, you're so right. In both cases, this rich young ruler and Nicodemus, he's saying, what do you mean, what must I do to, to get eternal life? There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do except let me do it for you. Give you a new identity, not depend on your, your wealth, cause you to be born again. There is nothing a person can do to inherit, to receive eternal life except to receive what Jesus has promised to do for them. And everybody's always asking this question. What must I do to be saved? I find some people, even after they become Christians, after they have an encounter with Christ, after they trust him as their Savior and he comes rushing in, taking residence, they continue to ask, so what must I do to be saved? And the answer from Jesus is the same. Just be saved. Just live as a saved person. And for crying out loud, stop asking me the question. I mean, the question is a good one if one is not saved. What must I do to become saved? Yeah, that's a good question. But once saved, why would a person ask, what must I do to be saved? Just live as a saved person. Embrace your salvation. Step up, man. Live it out. Live from that place now. I want you to imagine a young couple, and they're 
relationship is advancing so wonderfully and romantically. Mm. And he pops the question and she says, okay, will you marry me? Yes, I'll marry you. And they come and they stand before the church and they say their vows. And they're married. And they go off to Barbados or somewhere for their honeymoon. And that first morning, they wake up and they stare into one another's eyes. Breeze blowing through the curtains. It's perfect. And he looks over at her and he says, Honey, will you marry me? And she goes, Oh, Yeah, of course. And then the next day, he says, Honey, will you marry me? And the next, and the next. And then he says, are we married? Are we still married, honey? Are we we still married? So that every day he says, honey, are are you still my wife? Why would you ask? I haven't been a perfect husband. I mean, I haven't broken any, you know, I haven't done anything terribly wrong, but I haven't been perfect. Are we still married? Wouldn't that woman eventually say, would you just shut the heck up? Yes, we're married. I'd like for all the perfect husbands to please stand. Do you doubt your marriage covenant? I'd like for all the perfect wives to please stand. Karen, go ahead. None of us are perfect at this. But the covenant is stronger than our behaviors. The covenant is abiding. What must a man do to be saved? Let Jesus do the work, embrace that, and then live as a saved person. There's nothing that you have to do to be saved. And so what about receiving Christ? John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Yes, so what about believing? Well, if that's doing something, if accepting the gift is doing something, then yeah, I guess there's something you have to do. But I don't see that as doing anything. I just allow myself to be embraced by the truth that Jesus died for me. You know, the Bible says that it's not by works that a one is saved, but by grace we are saved, not by works lest any man should boast. And he said, and this is by faith. And the Bible says in that same passage that even the faith is a gift from God. So even the faith to say, okay, I'm in, is a gift from God. What must one do to be saved? Be saved! It can't be that easy. But it is. He did it all. He did all the doing. He did all the doing. All of the doing to cause you to become saved and to cause you to continue to be saved. He did all the doing. The Bible says in Hebrews that he shed his blood once for all. He did all the doing. Suppose somebody called you and said, Hey, I want to pay off your mortgage. Would that have your interest? I love you so much I want to pay off your mortgage. That's fantastic. And they say, Can you meet me at the bank tomorrow morning at 9 so we can take care of this? Well, if meeting them at the bank is doing something then do it, right? 
If believing on Christ, if believing the message, if placing your trust in the message of Christ and the power of the gospel is doing something, then that's the thing to do. But he does all the work. All of it. It's done. He said, it's finished. There, look. Done on the cross. It's done. If somebody called you, a dealer, car dealer called you, says we have a brand new Mustang, GT, I don't know, whatever you want. Fill in the blanks, go. Go. Murmur, murmur. You go? What? I go? I don't think they make Yugos anymore, do they? Whatever. I, we have that, and we want to give it to you. Just come down and pick it up. Is that doing something? If that's doing something, then do it. But all the work is done, correct? Are you getting this? Am I over-illustrating? What must I do to be saved, he said. Actually, the whole answer to what this rich young ruler was seeking was contained in his question. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To inherit it. Particularly in this age, the only way, in this culture, the only way to be an heir was to be a son. That was it. The only way to inherit anything is to be a son. You can't work your way into the will. The, o- the answer is contained in the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And without realizing it, he's saying, what must I do to become your son? And Jesus said, well, just lay down who you are. Just stop being who you are. Go give away your money. Just stop being who you are so that I can cause you to be my son. Ay, ay, ay. But the rich young ruler actually passed completely by the answer he was looking for. In the beginning, he said, Good teacher. And Jesus said, uh, Good. Why do you call me good? He said, only God is good. No one is good except God alone. You know God's way into good. I mean, he's way into... Anybody get the Genesis yet? Reading the Bible thing? Anybody? No? I highly recommend this Bible thing. Start in the beginning. Whatever your take on the creation is, whatever the meaning of that is for you, is insignificant compared to the power of it. When everything he made, he said... Oh, that's good. I mean, who, who but God can say, oh, I'm good. Come on. Come on, how many of you have made something and secretly stood back going, oh, I'm good, right? Yeah, me too. You made something and your drywall came out just right. Oh, my gosh, don't touch it. Anybody? You went back in a few times when nobody was looking? I'm good. God, everything he touches, he's so into good, into transforming the nothingness into something that's good. Anything that truly proceeds from God is good. And this is the solution to every part of your life. It's all wrapped up in the goodness of God. It's the solution to every problem you have. It's the answer to every question. It's the provision for every lack. The opportunities of 
or the, the condition of our lives, the circumstances of our lives create an opportunity. Listen, I don't know what's happening here, but it's bugging me and you. Uh, the circumstances of our life create this ongoing opportunity to apply the goodness of God. To apply the goodness of God. You know, as believers, we have access to the goodness of God. You know this? As believers, we have access to the goodness of God. And the circumstances of our lives create this perpetual opportunity for us to make a decision. And one of the decisions is, can I access the goodness of God and apply it to this otherwise dark, bad situation? How many of you, like me, have been into situations where you go, how did I get this bad? How did it get this dark? I didn't see this coming. How did I get here? And try as you might, you couldn't claw your way out. Just a little hand, you know. And the key to that is accessing the goodness of God and asking God to come in and flood your darkness with his goodness and his light. Whatever the circumstances of your life today, it may be bad. It may be. Your life might stink. But he's good. I don't know what it... I don't know what it would be like to be a teenager these days. I can't imagine. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that this week. What would it be like to be a teenager? I can't imagine. I mean, things seem so much more difficult and complicated now than when I was a teenager a hundred years ago. I didn't do well then as a teenager. I didn't handle it well. I can't imagine the struggles you guys must be facing on a day-to-day basis. I got thinking about that. And I wonder, I wonder if you could access the goodness of God and just ask God to come and be good. Ask God to come and be good in the midst of your difficult adolescence. Thinking about people who, who get diagnosis of terminal illness. You're going to die. How, do you, how does one manage that? And I wonder if you've ever taken the position of saying, God, would you just come in and be good? Struggling marriages. I, I'm sorry, I can't relate. I wish I could. It's the perfect husband married to the perfect wife. We have no problems. Struggling marriages. Heartbreaking behaviors that threaten the marriage. Can you ask the goodness of God? God, would you just come and be good? Financial uncertainty. Some of you are so worried about your finances, your jobs, your, when your unemployment's going to run out. Could you just ask God just to come and just be good? Could you access the goodness of God? Because it's what God's into. God is into being good. God is way into goodness. And he's very generous. The Father's heart is always to give. 
He wants to give you his goodness. Some of you are interested in what I'm talking about, but you don't know how to access the goodness of God yet. You just know how to think about it. And so maybe a question that's going through your mind is, how do I access the goodness of God? It's the same two answers I give every Sunday now. Number one, you must be born again. <laughs> that's where it all begins. You have to become a son. You have to become a daughter of the living God by the work Jesus did for you. And that's where the access of his goodness begins. You have to come to the place of surrender and saying, I, I receive by faith, in faith, by the power of faith, I receive what you did for me on the cross. Come in. I'm ready. Just hold still for the embrace. And then you can begin to access the goodness of God. Some of you said, well, I, 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 that's, that's me. That describes me, but I still have trouble accessing the goodness of God. The second answer is the same. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no way to effectively live the Christian life without being filled with the Holy Spirit. If I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not optional equipment for charismatics. It's not an option. It's a command of Scripture and an invitation of God to come and flood you. And what happens? Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Some of you know it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Goodness, there it is. It's right there. That goodness, goodness to be accessed and applied to whatever the circumstance of your life is. Goodness is right there for the taking for the spirit-filled believer. But it is completely unavailable for the person who constantly stiff-arms the move of the Holy Spirit. How bad is it? Is it bad? Has your life become bad enough that you're desperate for the goodness of God? Have you got to the place where it's unmanageable and you're desperate for the goodness of God? That's a great place to be. Because God's right here this morning. God's right here this morning. I want you to do something for me. I'd like, for, first of all, for you to dial up some circumstance of your life, some aspect of your life, some dimension of your life. You don't have to bow your heads or close your eyes. This isn't a religious moment. We don't do religion here. Just dial up some aspect of your life that you would, you, you would just cherish the flood of the goodness of God. Would you just lift it up to God in prayer? Say, God, would you come and would you touch that reality? That, would you touch that aspect of my life? Could be anything. Could be a relationship. Could be a circumstance in your life that just seems out of your control. Could be a habitual sin pattern you can't seem to get free from. Could be any number of things. You define it. But it's something that you long for God to come and touch and just flood with his goodness. The result will be as different as the lives of some of these girls in India who were abandoned, left to die, left to die. And because of the goodness of God, they now live. 
Would you just lift that up? Now, by a show of hands, I'd like to see the hands of those people who said, I just prayed for something for God to bless with his goodness. Now, look around. Second, some of you have, you're in a place where you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be refreshed by the Holy Spirit. You're at a place in your life where you go, okay, I've, I've heard that. I understand that now. I see that that's a vital connection between me and God. But that's not just something for preachers and healers and crazy radical zealous Christians, but that's standard equipment for every believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that. And you say today, right now, right in this place, right at this second, I want to be filled, refilled, refreshed with the Holy Spirit. If that is you, would you raise your hand by a show of hands? I'd like to see. Just hold your hand up. Holy Spirit, come. 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 We have no preconceived notions of what you need to look like when you come. You are God, sovereign over all the universe. Come and refresh, fill every seeking heart now in the name of Jesus. Bear fruit in their lives. The fruit of the Spirit. Bear fruit in their lives. Let the goodness of God just come and invade every particle of your being. Be filled with the Spirit. Okay, thank you. One more question. Some of you today are at that place in your life where you'd like to give your life to Jesus. You'd like to accept his embrace. You'd like to say, I want to become a Christian today. I want to be born again. That it's stirring inside of you in a way that causes you to say, (laughs) I've been listening to this, I've been processing it, and there's something inside of me, there's a connection inside of me that says today, I want to be changed in my standing from condemned to saved, from lost to found, from darkness to light. I want to be counted as a son or as a daughter of the living God. That, that stirring inside of me like it's never stirred before. And today I'd like to become a Christian. I'd like to see your hands also. If that's you today and you're connecting with that message, just lift up your hand. Thank you. Just hold it up for a sec. Thank you. I'm going to pray with you guys. So have your hands up right now. You can put them back down. Father, I pray for those who are connecting with that message that right here, right now, by your power, you will come rushing in and take residence in their lives. That somehow, through the mystery of our gathering today and the move of your Holy Spirit, you have persuaded these three people to ask Jesus Christ into their lives. Come, Lord. If I were you and I just raised my hand, I would just simply say, Lord, I turn to you. I turn away from my old self and I turn to you. I lay down myself before you. And right now, I recognize that I need Jesus Christ to come in and do a work for me that I am incapable of doing for myself.
And right now, right here on this day, I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life as my Savior, my Lord. If you pray that prayer, he'll always honor it. If that's a prayer of your heart, then you're born again by the Spirit of God, and you'll see evidence of that. Those of you who raised your hands, I'd like you to do something after the service is dismissed. I want you to come up here two minutes of your time. See me personally. I just want to have a brief prayer with you. I want to encourage you. I want to shake your hand and welcome you into the family, all right? Father, we thank you and bless you today. We ask uh, that your goodness would come our, and uh, invade every aspect of our lives. We thank you for the, the thrill, Lord, the, the delight of being your sons and daughters. We can't believe it's even possible that you've made a way for the likes of us to come into the presence of your holiness and righteousness and perfection. But we receive your offer of grace and forgiveness through your son Jesus. And so we come joyfully excited to be called your children. I thank you for every person who has responded in any way to the move of the Spirit in here. And I pray, Father, that today would be the beginning of a life of accessing your goodness and bringing your goodness, the kingdom of your goodness to bear on their individual lives in every way. I pray that we would become known as people who have been embraced by the goodness of God. And I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.